everyone and welcome to Behold, the podcast where we cast our all-seeing eye over the world of comic book adaptations and try to sort the super from the substandard. That's just the one eye, is it? Yes, that's right. Our one eye, the other <laughs> which is covered in an eye patch because it got pecked out by ravens. That's right. And as as you've already heard, I'm, as usual, joined by my co-host Mick. Hello! And only Mick, because I'd already finished doing my episode notes when Graham decided he was going to join as well. Hello? <laughs> That's got to be the most Loki intro. Loki? Yeah, well, Loki? he's not in this one. <laughs> yes, yes, this is the one time that joke is not appropriate. <laughs> I know. So, yeah, how are we all ah, doing? No, he does make a brief. Almost cameo appearance. Of sorts, yes, fair. In the play within a play. Yes. Which seems to be a sort of stock of uh, of these movies now. So yes, this week we're beholding Thor, Love and Thunder. Indeed. And my clever introduction for this one is... I forgot to write one. <laughs> well, gather round. Gather round while I tell you the tale of how Graham, Mick and Andrew watch all the movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe so that you don't have to watch the crap ones. He's good, isn't he, listeners? You could almost believe you were listening to a real guy from Birmingham. Absolutely. I was going to say, that somehow got more South African than when you rehearsed it. It it, it was supposed to be Welsh. (laughs) So, yes, this is the 2022 film we're talking about, directed by Taika Waititi, written by Taika and Jennifer Caton Robinson, and based on the Marvel character created by Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and Larry Lieber. I like the fact that you stumbled over Jennifer Caton Robinson, but Taika Waititi, not a problem. It's such a a fun name to say. Every syllable trips into the next one. It does. Also, in my defence, it was specifically I had a panic of, oh, is it actually Caitlin, or did I just forget to like type out Caitlin properly? <laughs> Look, full disclosure, listeners, I, I wrote this yesterday after a particularly heavy night. <laughs> Which is exactly what Taika Waititi said to Marvel's <laughs> Kevin Feige when he turned in the script. Yes. Feige? I mean, that's a trickier one, isn't it? Is it phage? Like some kind of illness? Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige? Is it, is it phage to rhyme with beige? Is it Feige? I don't know. I think know. it is Kevin Feige, isn't it? Who knows? Yeah, I, I've heard it pronounced as Feige, so that's probably right. Yeah. I prefer phage, though, now that I've said it. Oh, cruel phage. <laughs> I do. I mean, that does sound like a film, doesn't it? Iron Man versus the Kevin Feige. <laughs> Marvel Feige Four. Oh dear! Which we're nearing the end of it would appear. Yeah, who knew? Yeah. Not normally when you're nearing the end of a phase, something's happened. Yeah. This seems to be a sort of... This is like episode one of a season of Game of Thrones, isn't it? It's it's that we're putting all the pieces in place, but phase five, when that starts, oh, you're going to know about it. Oh, people always talk about how Marvel is structured like television, and it's like it's so gratifying that they finally got to the point of where you can say, oh, just get through the first series, and it really picks up after that. (laughs) Phase four, the lost version of the MCU. Yeah, it's that classic mid-series slump that we've got at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Except it isn't, is it? the general direction is a bit meandering, but, you know, apart from Sony's attempt, um, the actual individual bits are all right. It's just the overall... Wholeness. Yeah, and that's... I, I like to joke, but it's 
it's kind of strange to me that people's main complaint about the MCU now is just, but this is just a series of standalone films. <laughs> that's, that's not how cinema works. <laughs> I what hey. trying to tell a, a complete story? No. I want my films to be two hours Listen, of just vague James, references to a the, bigger overarching story. The James Bond franchise hasn't lost it as long as it has without the continual back references to things that happened in earlier movies. Oh, wait. <laughs> Hold on. Yes, yeah, so Apart from that last lo- one, no, it did. <laughs> See, yes, everyone loves the overall myth arc of the James Bond franchise. Oh yeah, I'm ju- I, I mean, the only reason why I go is because I'm on tenterhooks to find out why he's been forty since 1962. That's because he got the immortality stone, which wasn't mentioned in the Avengers arc because it had been nicked by another franchise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah one of the last franchises Disney doesn't have the rights to. Yet. See, see, actually, what it is, is just there's really 10 in the Dones, but Thanos was a really big Michael Jackson fan. <laughs> and it just, he had to go for, for the one globe look. <laughs> anyway, to get us slightly back on track. What? How, How dare you? I know. It's a break from the usual format. But. I was going to say, how familiar are you guys with Thor? I guess specifically Thor, the Marvel comic book character, not like Norse mythology. Ah, uh, yeah. Important clarification. Well, yeah, I'm reasonably familiar with both, but more so Thor, the comic book character. I have seen, and I don't know if other people are aware of this, but there has been a series of successful movies based around the Thor character and he has occasionally turned up in movies with other superheroes so I think I know the guy pretty well by now Ah, but have you seen Thor in The Incredible Hulk? Is that how familiar are you guys with Thor as a comic book character? (laughs) There, there, you damn pedants. I'm reasonably familiar, but I watched a clip of Thor in, was it about 1982 when they did a series of TV movies of The Incredible Hulk, Mm -hmm. the Luferino Bill Bixby one? Oh man. Oh man, it's no surprise he didn't make a live-action appearance until well into the MCU's success. That did not go well. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I've seen pictures of him with like his big metal breastplate and his big like furry shoulders, and that man looks so hot. Not like not attractive. I mean, just physically hot. <laughs> he, he needs a glass of water. But yes, uh, I, I'm. Relatively familiar. It, the one thing, despite the fact that I've enjoyed the Thor movies um, generally, um, it it does pain me that he hasn't got the traditional uh, Donald Blake um, alter ego. Yeah, yeah. In, in the in the in the comics, he's um, a professor of mythology, I believe, or an no, no, he's a a, a doctor. He's a doctor, doctor. I mean, I haven't seen Donald Blake since I was about seven, so you know. Um, but yeah, so he strikes. He, he walks with a stick, doesn't he? And he strikes the stick, and that becomes Majolnir, and he becomes the mighty Thor. And I think the idea much... of Thor going undercover as a human doctor is one that Taika Waititi could bring quite a lot of comedy out of. I'm picturing something in my head like that episode of What We Do in the Shadows where Laszlo has to pretend to be an ordinary human bartender. Um, I, I don't know what you're talking about, Greg. Do you mean that one episode where Laszlo disappears and it just takes over following random human bartender Jackie Daytona? <laughs> yes, that's the one. I mean, that there, there, <laughs> there is a clip in one of the 
I think it's one of the multiverse movies, isn't it, where you see Thor wearing um, a Donald Blake. It's one of the it's one of the Avengers movies, I think. Oh. He's wearing, or Chris Hemsworth is wearing a Doctor's outfit in another element of the multiverse. It might even have been WandaVision or something like that. Just a cameo. But he's wearing a, like scrubs and it's got D. Blake. Ah. Yeah, I don't know. Was that maybe What If? No, it wasn't animated. It was definitely live action, I'm sure of it. He might, did I dream he might have dreamt it. I think, um, I think Donald Blake was like briefly mentioned in the first Thor film as being Jane's ex-boyfriend. I'm sure. I'll, I'll carry on, and I'll I'll search in the background. Okay. But yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Thor in the comics. He's he's probably one of my favorite Marvel characters. Okay. He's bombastic and. Epic, isn't he? I've I've literally in got in my notes. Thor is one of my favourite characters. Love how big and bombastic he is. <laughs> Mr. Bombastic. I think that just that is but the not, word for him. He is he is Mr. Bombastic, but he's not Mr. Fantastic. That's a different franchise. Indeed. That's an important distinction. <laughs> Indeed. But yeah, like Thor particularly a big fan of the, the Walter Simonson run, which is from the 80s. And was kind of the run that really like doubled down on it. No, we're going to bring in a bunch of stuff from like actual Norse mythology. Okay. It's like that's the one where he has to fight the demon Serta and has one of the best Thor panels, which is like Serta about to attack Asgard. And Thor's kind of standing there yelling, For Midgard! And Odin's next to him yelling, For Asgard! And then Loki's standing next to him going, for myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love that. Also, should mention the the more recent uh, Jason Aaron run, which has a lot of art by Isad Ribic and Russell Downerman, particularly because that's kind of a lot of that is what this film pulls its story from. So that's the arc that introduced things like God the God Butcher and Jane being the kind of new Thor. I see. See, my thing is, I'm a Marvel cinema goer, but a DC Comics reader. I think if I was watching films purely based on what comics I've been loyal to since I was a kid, I would watch a lot of DC stuff. The main barrier preventing me from doing that is DC films. Uh, so I have learned to adapt and survive, and that means that often I find myself watching films based on comic book characters where I have very little sense of who they are in the comics, and that is the case with Thor. But yeah, basically, Crash Course then, Thor, big strong man, has a hammer. Yeah, I, I was I was going to say, I also don't feel like I'm at much of a disadvantage with Thor, but I think what you see is what you get with this guy. I thought for an awful moment Andrew was going to go, Thor. <laughs> what is it good for? What is it good for? Well, what is it good for? That's a good segue into a review, I think. It is, isn't it? Yeah. It is indeed. Well, shall I run us through a synopsis of the film then? Please do. Well, before you do, I'm just going to, uh, for the sake of our listeners, and possible, possibly Graham as well, that my enjoyment of the film was impacted by the fact that I was getting punched in the kidneys for the entire duration of the movie. So you bear that in mind when I make my comment. You saw it in 4DX then. I did. Why do you do you, this to you? Yes. Do, do you know that there are cinemas that have seats that don't physically harm you as you watch the <laughs> I film? I know. Where's the fun in that? Where is the fun in that? If you're not watching Deadpool and feeling everything blood spatter, what is the point? Um, I I think the point is that I'm not in physical pain. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I watched it in full. Punch you in the kidney vision. Thor DX. Did they use that as Thor a tag? DX. Oh, they did not. Dear. They did not. They missed that trick. Indeed. 
I had a reclining anyway, seat. As, as the internet, which is the fault of all knowledge, uh, would appear to indicate, I did in fact dream the fact that I saw the movie Thor in Scrubs wearing a Donald Blake uh, name tag. Yeah. Oh well. Or, or it could have been a deleted scene or something. Could be. Could be. Anyway. That plot synopsis. Yes. Yeah. As always, full spoilers ahead. So, on a barren desert planet, completely regular ordinary man, Gore! <laughs> Al Gore, yes. <laughs> Played by Christian Bale, watches his daughter... I should point out, actually, I went to see this with the missus, and it was a good half hour into the film before... It, it killed his first god, by the way, before she went, is that Christian Bale? <laughs> <laughs> And that's when he's relatively recognisable. That's before he's yeah. turned into the thing from the Aphex Twin Come to Daddy video. He really is. <laughs> anyway, he watches his daughter Love die from starvation despite his prayers to his god Rapu to save her. Uh, eventually, Gore comes across a garden paradise where Rapu lives, unconcerned by the deaths of his followers. Enraged, Gore allows himself to be possessed by All Black the Necro Sword and uses it to kill Rapu before embarking on a spree of god killings. Thor. Can I just point out, can I just point out, Andrew, that as you're doing this synopsis, everything you, every time you talk about something powerful and evil, you turn into Margaret Thatcher, your hand becomes a claw. <laughs> I, I do have that withered Thatcher esque talon. <laughs> Wait, does that make me the best candidate for the next Conservative leader? I mean, you can't possibly I mean... be the worst. <laughs> no, Liz Truss is running. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, that's not me putting my support behind Rishi Sunak. It's just that if there's anything Liz Truss is up for, she's the worst candidate for it. <laughs> if we were giving out an award for worst movie, Liz Truss would be the worst candidate for it. <laughs> Maybe the one job I would trust Liz Trust to do is if I needed to get half an hour extra time ready for something I was doing on stage and I just needed someone to just go out there and talk bollocks about cheese. She'd be good at that. See, I'd say she, so, but I assume... She'd probably talk about pork markets. Yeah. See, I, I just assume anything she gets asked to do ends up as some kind of like elaborate Hennymore style plot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I found a place again. So Thor, Chris Hemsworth, is contacted by his old friend Sif, Jamie Alexander, who has tracked Gore to an alien planet. Thor travels there with the rocky alien Korg, Taika Waititi, who, yes, wrote, directed, and stars in this film. And finds Sif close to death. And, and the rates quite a lot of it. Mm. Yeah. Must cut down on the costs. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Thor finds Sif close to death, so takes her to New Asgard for treatment. However, once they arrive, they're attacked by Gore and his shadow monsters. Thor and the New Asgardians are unable to stop Gore kidnapping the town's children and are almost overwhelmed by the shadow monsters, but are saved by... Another Thor? What? Which, might be more of, yeah, which I'm sure is, is more of a twist had I not already mentioned the fact that it's Jane Foster earlier. Really. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like I say, this is Jane Foster, played by Natalie Portman, who was drawn to New Asgard by the hammer Mjolnir in the hopes that it would cure her cancer. How and why? Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> because comics. So... Guy Thor, Jane, Korg, and King Valkyrie, Tessa Thompson, travel to Omnipotent City, home of the gods, in the hopes of gathering an army to track down Gore. However, they are rejected by the gods' leader Zeus, played by Russell Crowe, who refuses to help them. After Zeus injures Korg, Thor impales him with his own Thunderbolts, which Valkyrie then steals, and the four of them then go to fight Gore alone. This goes badly as Valkyrie is stabbed and Gore steals Thor's axe. Stormbreaker. 
revealing this was his plan all along, as he needs the Axe's ability to summon the Bifrost to open a gate to eternity, uh, an omnipotent being will grant whoever reaches him a wish, e.g. killing all the gods. Which is not just an abstract example, that, that's what God wants to do, I mean. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, what do you call a guy God the God Butcher? What do you expect? <laughs> it, I, 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 I'll be honest. We only... We don't see him butcher that many gods. I'm going to call him God the God Botherer. <laughs> yes, it's like sheep worrying. Yeah. There are a lot of deleted scenes. <laughs> I mean, I think there are, because apparently the original draft of this film was like three hours long. <laughs> it's true, and I never know how much credence to give stuff like that, because the first cut of any feature film is normally madly long, but apparently there are quite a few actors who were supposed to be in this who were not. Yeah, yeah, like, I know, Peter Dinklage was supposed to be back as Etri. Mm. Um, someone else has come back. Apparently, Lena Headey was supposed to be in this and just yeah. completely gone. Anyway, Thor is able. Um, oh God, I've, I've lost my place again. <laughs> that right, found it. It's, this is okay. This is all planned. And you're usually so professional. I it? know it's it's a shock to everyone. <laughs> Our heroes retreat to Midgard, asterisk Earth, and Jane reveals that using Mjolnir is actually worsening her cancer by sapping her strength. Uh, Thor decides to go confront Gore again alone, as Jane will die if she becomes the mighty Thor again. Thor is able to free the children by granting them a, par- a portion of his powers, but is still unable to defeat Gore. Sensing this, Jane picks up Mjolnir and travels to him. Together, the two Thors are able to defeat Gore, but he still manages to make it through the portal to eternity. However, after an impassioned speech from Thor, and seeing him sit with Jane as she succumbs to her cancer, Gore instead chooses to use his wish to resurrect his daughter before dying from the Necrosword's corrupting influence. Thor adopts love and gives her Stormbreaker as they travel the galaxy helping those in need. Then, in mid-credits scenes, Zeus is then her... That, that wasn't words. <laughs> no. <laughs> Then in the mid it was ba- it was barely sounds to be fair. In mid credit scenes, Zeus's the God that Zeus's <laughs> son. It's the double S. I didn't think about the double S. Are we doing a CB uh, podcast about Thor and it's Zeus who gets us lisping? Yeah. Right in mid credit scenes, Hercules, played by Brett Goldstein, the son of Zeus. Swears vengeance on Thor, and Jane arrives in Valhalla and is greeted by Heimdall, played by Idris Elba. Jesus Christ, that's the synopsis. <laughs> it's true. When, when you say it out loud, parts of it sound quite silly. Yeah. Yes. I also think it's appropriate for this film, because like most of the film itself, apparently, a lot of that's going to get put on the cutting room floor, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Did, um... So, question. Mm-hmm. Should Jane Foster and indeed Heimdall be in Valhalla? Well, Heimdall definitely died on the battlefield. Yes, I mean, I, I feel like by this film's own logic, Jane shouldn't. No. But I thought I thought Heimdall sort of got killed in a sneak attack as people were on their way to the battlefield. No, no, they weren't going to a battlefield. The battlefield crashed into them and started killing them. I think that qualifies as battle. Yeah, I mean, he, he died in a puncher. I just don't want Idris Elba to survive. Because <laughs> the only thing he's good at is being Idris Elba. You're not picking up tickets for... The... What's that movie called again? Oh, yeah, George Miller's Horny Aladdin. Oh, where's the sexy genie? Yes. What? Have you not seen... <laughs> Have you not heard about this? In exchange for doing more uh, 
Mad Max for doing more of Imperative Furiosa. George Miller has managed to get Studio to back quite a lavish-looking movie where Tilda Swinton is a dowdy Yorkshire woman who gets sexed up by Idris Elba's horny genie. Is this, what's it called? Fifty Shades of Gin? <laughs> no, that's what they had to drink to make this. <laughs> wow. No, I was unaware of that. And now you've made me aware of it. There's no option, Graham. I'm going to have to kill you. <laughs> Remember, Graham, you need to die in the fight itself so that you go to Valhalla. Of course, yes. Even though Jay, because that's that's a bee I have in my bonnet about this film. Mm. Is there's that whole scene where Thor's talking to Sif, and she says, "No, don't bother saving me because I'll just die and go to Valhalla," and he says, "No, but you won't because the battle's already finished." But then yeah. Jane dies very much after the fight against Gore had finished, is is finished, and then she just goes to Valhalla. Can I venture something? It is possible that Thor, who, unusually for a Marvel character, hasn't died once, uh, might be <laughs> mistaken about how the afterlife works, in much the same way that Taika Waititi's Thor movies have always stripped away large parts of the mythology of uh, the... Uh, what Thor again? The Asgardians. Thank I you. mean, I, I wouldn't mind that, but they don't, like hang a lampshade on it or True. anything like that it's just and it just it seems weird that they explicitly like have that joke in there and then contradict yeah. it which i assume it's just taika waititi thought it was a funny joke and then didn't think about how it would impact the story yes so i have a question go Rus on russell crowe's views slightly yeah. racist <laughs> you know, the, the reaction to this has been a useful litmus test of how you're going to relate to the film in general. Because, I mean, I I think if it wasn't for maybe the nice guys, I would say this was genuinely Russell Crowe's greatest screen performance. <laughs> but I have heard some people say that this role in a comedy film, where Russell Crowe portrays Zeus, a role that even in a serious film is not normally associated with Cassavetes-style actorly understatement. Some people have watched it and thought, this seems a bit silly. Gasp! <laughs> Shock! <laughs> and I, I, think I, I particularly like the bit where he walks down the stairs and lifts the skirt up. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, I think I, I've seen Zeus portrayed in many, many films. Yeah. And not once has anybody done a full Greek accent. And let's be honest, Russell's Russell's track record with accents is not great. Remember Robin Hood, where he did them all? Of course, <laughs> yes. But that's sort of the thing, isn't it? It's like, do you remember when, when Brad Pitt was in that awful film, The Devil's Own, where he had to play an Irish character and his accent was so bad, but then he just reused it for Snatch, where that's the joke. And uh, I think, you know, s something similar is going on here. It is an absolutely insane accent, but he is obviously in on the joke in a way that a lot of this film's naysayers obviously aren't. Yeah, like it's see, very I, deliberately I, I, preposterous. I, I just wonder if it might have not been better and possibly cheaper to cast Harry Enfield as Stavros. <laughs> <laughs> and have the going. I mean, if you're going to go there, Go fully there. Hello, everybody. Mighty peep. This is you, isn't it? <laughs> it's a, just an inch away from Stavros territory, isn't it? <laughs> it is. But yes, I'm gonna say, I think Russell Crowe as Zeus is my favourite thing about this film. <laughs> I would, I would be minded to co-sign that, and I think there's a lot of good stuff in it. Yeah, mm. because I, I know you mentioned the nice guys is like. Obviously, one of his best. Yes, film. it's an amazing film, and like, but 
even that I think that's his other film he's done that's kind of more comedic, but even in that, he's still quite a serious character. So yeah, it's, it's nice just to yeah. see him have a chance to just absolutely go full ham. Yes. And he just he seems like he's having so much fun. He absolutely is. And he does it within the context of uh, portraying a version of Zeus that is basically mythologically accurate. You look at the Greek canon and you think, how did people worship these dicks? And that's very much the energy that Crow approaches the role of Zeus with. It's Zeus, god of the fat boys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. Where's my next point of uh, contention? I mean, it wasn't a real point of contention. I just thought I'd ask the question. Um. <laughs> <sighs> I thought I thought and correct me if I'm wrong Andrew because you're younger than me and my memory of these films wavers over time but not as much as the X-Men movies Um, wasn't it the exposure to all the magical and Asgardian shenanigans in Dark World that caused Jane Foster to have the cancer in the first place? No, her having cancer, that's not come up previously. Yes, I thought so. Although I had a moment there because Mick's question requires me to remember what happened in Thor The Dark World. Actually, yes, that's... See, I, 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 don't, I don't think it was specifically mentioned that she had cancer, but I, that her body had been ravaged by and that it had had an effect. It wasn't necessarily called out as cancer, but that her health and vitality had been somehow impacted by events of the Dark World. Um, yes, it was, it was a plot. The plot in the Dark World was that she Wait, what? There was she a plot in the Dark World? The, the Red Woobilies, and that made her have tummy <laughs> troubles. But I, I think that all just got cleared up. I mean, again, you, you're asking me questions about Thor The Dark World, a film that no one on the planet actually remembers. All right, Christopher Eccleston. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I, I think this, I this, like is in, this is unconnected, though. All right. Um, I do like the stories within a story, the the, yes. play, the, the plays that, that take place. It's the fact that they are so crap and yet played by such A-list actors. Yes. <laughs> I have a great soft spot for the bit where after an attack on uh, New Asgard, you have Liam Hemsworth and Matt Damon positioning King Valkyrie saying, uh, we need to make a play about this. The people need theatre at a time of crisis. <laughs> yes. Also, she's an actor who I feel like I like in things when she's not playing the lead in some god-awful like, piece of crap comedy. But it, it was quite delightful to see Melissa McCarthy as Hella. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, I'll always have a soft spot for Melissa McCarthy just on on the basis of Can You Ever Forgive Me, in which she is absolutely magnificent. Uh, but yeah, she's having great fun in this. I wonder if Kate Blanchett watched that and went, you bastards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yes, um, I think... There's an, I mean, there there are an awful lot of bits of it where you can just say the jokes and get the appeal of it across because it is a very funny film. It is. Yeah, uh, and I, I I think with Dark World aside, it's where the Thor movies have sort of triumphed in the MCU. Yeah. In that comics are there to be fun, 
people do forget how funny Branagh's first Thor film is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I do still have a big soft spot for the another bit, which just like yes. smashes the teacup on the floor. Kenneth Branagh should direct more intentional comedy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I like the fact that because the 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 fact that Jane Foster comes back could have made this really sag in the middle act mm. into a sort of Bridget Jones style rom com mawkish why did we split up type thing, but the way that they do it as the sort of jealousy of the weapons, yes. Instead of exploring Thor and, Je- I mean, I know they do resolve their bit, but it's a blissfully short sequence where they do that. But the rest of it, all the sort of hidden feelings and the jealousy and the anxiety, that's all played out between Mjolnir and Snow- Stormbreaker and Thor, and it's it's just a joy. I think one of the things that. Taika Waititi doesn't get enough praise for is that he can come into these universes that have been set up entirely in most cases by other people and he can make a plot line that hasn't been working work Mm. people don't see this because they don't think of him as a story oriented director and in some ways he isn't but the Thor Jane Foster relationship has never really worked in previous films. And when she sat out Ragnarok, I think most people thought, ah, well, okay, Natalie Portman looked like she was having the worst time of her life in the last Thor movie. So we'll just accept that contrivance and move on. And now he's hanging the entire plot off the Thor and Jane relationship. And it's almost alchemical. Suddenly, it works and has stakes, and, I, and you believe in them. And I think, I think the problem with that, and I think it was also something. I, I think it was something that they resolved in the comics as well, um, by making Jane Foster the new Mighty Thor. Mm. Was Jane Foster's one of those characters? With, I mean, what do you do with her? Mm. Yes, she was definitely up until the Jason Aaron run. I think she did tend to be generic love interest quite a lot of the time yeah and it, it's like you know she suddenly becomes the same as Vicky Vale in Batman she becomes the same as um, oh what was the character Katie Holmes played in Batman uh, oh Rachel Dawes that's uh, it. Bro- yeah. brother of George yes yeah. <laughs> daughter of Marjorie <laughs> Um, yeah, but yeah, the the MJ Watson in the the earlier Spider Man movies. I mean, again, you know, in the MCU now, Zendaya's MJ is a little bit more of a an interest grabber. But mm. yeah, you're right. It, it's just that romantic partner cipher character that's almost almost on the level of the Doctor Who companion of going, "What's going on? Yes, <laughs> why are all these aliens appearing from the sky?" And he, Why like is say, lightning he does, coming from your eyes? He does great stuff with it, and it uh, it made me think I would like Taika to direct a DC film, because if this is how well he works with one plotline that no one's bothered to set up very well, imagine what he'll do with a whole universe full of them. Dwight Suicide Squad. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, even as someone who loved James Gunn's Suicide Squad, I'd watch the hell out of that film. <laughs> I liked the James Gunn Suicide Squad. I'm not going to reopen that box because I know it's been divisive. But, no, uh, no, yeah, I think I mean, you'll and... find it's objectively one of the best films we've seen. The list <laughs> proves it. Yeah. But also, I feel like we need that film because I think the emotional whiplash of Taika Waititi's Justice League 2 would be a bit too much. <laughs> The Waititi cut, yes. <laughs> Gather round, everybody, while I tell you how Steppenwolf became really shiny. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I think this film has that isn't being talked about enough is that 
every Marvel film is kind of a family movie in the in the sense that Doctor Who is a family show. You know, mm. it's something that should, when it works, it works because it appeals to every age group. Yeah, and I think this is the first one that feels like it really takes the child audience for these movies seriously. Mm. That part that you mentioned earlier, uh, Andrew, uh, about Thor giving his powers to the children uh, so he, they can fight Gorv, who is... I compared him to the thing from the Come to Daddy video, and he is a bit like that, but he's also a bit like the child catcher from Chitty Chitty I mean, he literally puts all the children in a big cage, so yes. Yeah. What more do you want? I don't, uh, yeah, and I think um, I know in the comics he bought, he bore an uncanny resemblance to Voldemort. Yes. He? So I think yes, there is that resonance with all those childhood villains. Yeah. That, you know, were against children that were doing horrible things with children. Um. So yeah, I, th- I think you're right. It, it does make Thor: Love and Thunder. A family yeah, movie. Yeah, and even just... But on, a panto, on, on that pantomimic level, where there are jokes and activities going on that will go above the heads of the kids and have the adults rolling in the aisles. Hello. We, we say jokes that go above the heads of the kids. Normally that means sex jokes, but this has like the most innocent sex scene I've ever seen in a movie, <laughs> where two characters just hold hands. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, but yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't mean that. But I meant sort of like um, uh, there's some more yeah. snarky kind of postmodern yeah. stuff. Yeah. Some stuff that requires you to have a knowledge of the cliches. Yeah, yeah. I get yeah. what you mean. Yeah. That being so, said, though, it does well, also yeah, have one of my favourite visual gags in a long time, which is just the oh. bit where they're flying towards the planet. And you think it's further away than it is, and they just crash into it. (laughs) (laughs) Also, is there anybody came out of that movie not wanting a pair of star goats? (laughs) I think that there were plenty of people who wanted them. Those people's neighbours may come to regret it. Yes. Yes. Again, as much as we talk about the, oh yeah, there's a lot of like snarky clever jokes in Thor. Just the fact that the goats constantly scream is really funny. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> well, again, again, um, my missus was, was constantly being asked by one of her work colleagues if she'd seen Thor Love and Thunder yet. Because we'd mm. gone to see it quite early on in the release schedule. Yeah. And uh, finally, when we went to see it, she came out of the cinema and she said, Excellent. When I go to work tomorrow, I can just screech like a star goat and she'll understand that I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to drive the rest of the staff completely crazy. <laughs> So yeah, I suppose the big question that everyone's asking going in is how does this square up to Ragnarok? Because that was, I, I won't say an entirely unexpected treat. I've seen a lot of Taika Waititi's earlier mm. films. I was very excited about him getting the keys to a big Marvel movie. I, I, but... I, I was kind of scared because mm. it doesn't always work, does it? The, no, the, no, the, it doesn't. The, the, the low-budget indie darling gets given the keys to the Lamborghini and mm. then smashes it into a wall. Or even worse, yes. makes fan stick. <laughs> <laughs> so um yes, I was I was quite wary of Ragnarok, but actually from the opening frame of Thor spinning around in a cage talking to Satya, it was like no, he's got it. Sold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say I would probably put this one below Ragnarok, I think. Well, it, it's it's a little bit like um it's a little bit like the the Matrix reboot, right? Mm. 
the Matrix 4 couldn't possibly do what the Matrix trilogy did originally. Not without... Because the quantum leaps in technology haven't been there. It's, it's been fairly gradual development and refinement since the Matrix came out. It was a, it was a groundbreaker in its day. There isn't enough ground to be broken by the Matrix. And I think where Thor Love and Thunder has a weakness is that it came after Ragnarok and it it's not that it's not that uh Taika Waititi's a one trick party. It's just that he's done the trick. Yeah. yeah. And now he's being asked to do the trick again and he did. Because it's easy mm. now. He knows how the Plus, trick works. I guess as we've already talked about earlier, Ragnarok had the advantage of coming after Thor the Dark World. Yes. <laughs> yes. So it can just kick the dot out and say, hello, I'm not that film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think I, I do agree that it's not it, it it's not as good if only because it lacks that element of surprise. I think there are individual things about it that are better. I think Ragnarok's big Achilles heel, and this happens with a lot of directors who come from the indie sector and make a Marvel movie. The Achilles heel is that as soon as the effect stuff starts, it stops looking like a Taika Waititi movie and starts yes. looking like a Marvel movie. But the effect sequences in this, particularly in the third act, are really creative and unusual, I think. Yeah, actually, yeah, I will certainly give yeah. them like, that whole bit in the shadow realm where it's all like black and white. That's like genuinely mm, visual. Brilliant. And just yeah. like the colours, the brightness. It's don't yeah, they yeah. know that's not what he's supposed to do with the MCU? <laughs> someone forgot to like surgically remove all the colour and fun from this film. Oh no, we forgot the donization process. <laughs> Quick, someone get just like a handful of dirt and smear it over the screen. Now it looks like Endgame. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, and, and the other thing I liked about um, this one was unlike Multiverse of Madness, um, you didn't have to have sat through all the TV, all the movies of Phase 4. You could just go in this having understood what happened in Thor Ragnarok. That was probably your only pre-read that you needed. Hell, even that. I mean, Cole yes. recaps basically exactly. the absolutely. entirety of Thor's appearances in the MCU. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, but that's what I'm saying. If mm. you need anything, that's all you need. The previous Thor movies, nothing else. You don't need to see yeah. through WandaVision, Falcon, What If, Yeah, any of it. Interestingly, there's a chronological order in which you should watch the MCU. Okay. And it starts with season seven of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Where you've got six seasons of character development, death, rebirth. <laughs> I could sort of see why this hasn't caught on, if I'm honest. Yeah. Also, do you have to, like watch most of the first Captain America then like stop watch Iron <laughs> Man watch the last five minutes of Captain well, America this is... <laughs> the, 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 this is where these chronological watching orders don't really work <laughs> mm. I mean what happens when you get to Doctor Strange's mom I think that then do you just have to play it across seven different TVs and just run from room to room constantly. Probably, yeah. I wish I'd enjoyed this in that way. Well, Seems like around. the ideal way to, <laughs> yeah. Try, just tr trying to miss quite a bit of it, I think, would have improved my estimation of that film. I, I like the fact that it, uh, when, they, when they brought in the... Um, when they brought in the... Uh, Illuminati. They mm. even crowbarred in a reference to the one show Marvel have made that nobody watched. 
Yes. We've watched it though, Mick. We we we've watched it. <laughs> Some of us twice. Oh, I've watched it twice. Yeah, yeah. Did you, did you watch it the first time? I did watch it the first time round. And I loved oh, every right. second of it. Just not for the reason that Marvel intended. <laughs> but yeah, so I, yeah, I, that, it's what I like about um, this and Ragnarok, to be fair. You can just sit there and watch them and you don't need to know about the rest of the universe. Yeah. The universe can go to hell in a handbasket and the Thor movies will just sit there being watchable. I mean, one of the things about Taika Waititi's comic style is that large parts of Ragnarok and Love and Thunder feel like you're watching a multiverse movie for movies that don't exist. You know, I imagine someone who hadn't watched any of the previous Marvel movies might ask questions like, oh, right, uh, when did his dad go to Earth? You know, what's the relationship with his brother? I can also imagine them asking, also, when did the rock creatures come in? And the answer is right now. You're watching it. He's just yeah. throwing them in. Yeah, you know, what, when did the Asgardians become actual gods? Who knows? But it's happening yes. now. <laughs> yes, the Asgardians were just very advanced space aliens up until they weren't. Yeah. Yes. Well, then uh, you know the 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 whole concept, both in the comics and the films, it, it it's basically based. It's an extension of Clark's law, isn't it? That you know. Yeah. Any science su- suitably advanced is indistinguishable from magic. The Asgardian technology is suitably advanced, indistinguishable from magic. And also, comics. Yeah. Actually, since yes. we've mentioned the word comics, can I move on to, I guess, maybe like the main reason for me why I didn't like this as much as Ragnarok is because I think it does kind of bungle a bit the stuff it's adapting. Like, it takes okay. some kind of characters that I think are generally very interesting in the comics and does kind of strip away what makes them so great. Because kind of in the okay. original comic art, like, the whole thing with Gore is it's a lot more of, like, an ideological struggle. Because obviously his whole thing is, like, actually, no, the gods, they kind of suck. Like, you just sit around on your asses and don't help anyone. And actually, the world would be better off without you. And that's kind of something that Thor then has to deal with, this idea of, oh, actually, he's kind of right. A lot of these other gods are jackasses. Which is, again, like like something they kind of go towards with, like, Zeus and Omnipotent City. Mm. But then it never mm. really pays off. Whereas in the comics, like, that eventually leads to Thor basically losing the ability to wield Mjolnir. Because he kind of has that breakdown of, well, if gods like are inherently unworthy, because just by the nature of declaring themselves gods, they think of themselves as superior. That means that I'm not worthy. And whoopsie doopsie, I can't wield the hammer anymore. And that's kind of when Jane comes in. And there's kind of that big difference of, yeah. well, what makes me worthy? is that I'm willing to do this, even though it's going to actively kill me. And I, mm. that's that's yeah. a more interesting dynamic than this, where it's just, I'm kind of just Thor now, because why not? Be- yeah. It's because I, Thor I lent her his is... Wi-Fi password, essentially. But, but, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. but they're sharing a Netflix subscription. But it's... I think this is this is the difficulty that all these movies have, and I think it's possibly where DC fail, is that DC do tend to more slavishly adhere to the, the source material, which, when you think about characters like Superman and Batman, that's a shed load, you know, that's older than me. Mm, it's a lot yeah. to be but, but I think the difference um, for me here and I, is because it's, like, it's not just taking kind of from the entirety of Thor comics. It's pulling from like some mm. very specific runs. Yeah. I think there are two subtleties of that, of what they've changed it to that I do like. Although I agree what Andrew described sounds very interesting. 
But I like the fact that in making Thor more explicitly a story about magic and gods rather than aliens who look like gods, uh, Waititi has had a sort of an almost monkey's paw moment included in it where Thor promises that he'll do everything to protect Jane and Mjolnir understands that in exactly the way that he doesn't want it to, uh, which I think is essential in any story about magic, and I loved seeing it there. And I think the other thing is that normally the villain in a superhero movie is like a mirror of, of the superhero, and that's the case here. It's just that the superhero is Jane Foster's Thor. You know, uh, Gore is dealing with exactly the same issues of loss and of using his powers to run away from death that Jane is. And it makes you feel Thor's sort of own feelings of inadequacy. It makes you understand them a lot better when he isn't even the guy that the villain is patterned off. He really is a third wheel in this situation, and I love that as a sort of a gag about how villains are generally written in superhero movies. Yeah, I think... You know what I think would have made it better if actually Gore Mm. just looked exactly the same as Thor, but he was grey, and then the final fight was just them smashing into each other for like ten minutes. <laughs> well, um just just looking at the clock, uh we've mm. got about seven minutes left. I think it's time for us to go down to Omnipotent City where the gods throw lightning and the girls are pretty and start <laughs> ranking this mofo. Indeed. Indeed. So this is going on our list of one, two, ooh, a nice even forty. Which, I mean, is immediately going to be ruined by this being the 41st. I mean, I yes. mean, some people might ask, what are we doing with our lives? <laughs> Look, if it wasn't for us, how would people know that Morbius is the worst superhero film? I mean, it's <laughs> fair. That, you know, on an average runtime, we're talking about 80 hours of our life, but of course we did do 30 days of night, so that's 117 hours of our lives. <laughs> anyway, shall, shall I do a... Is is top 10 too presumptuous? Top 15? I don't think... Uh, what's number uh, 10? Number 10 is, well, Graham's last appearance, Danger Diabolic. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2... We've got V for Vendetta at 12, Birds of Prey at 13. The... Oh, I think we're definitely in top 10 territory. Having not been involved with the Diabolic episode. I mean, I do think Danger Diabolic is just the perfect encapsulation of that era of comic book adaptations. For all its flaws, that is a rare and yeah. precious thing. I feel 11 is fair. 11 feels fair to me. I could say 11 because, again, we're running into the same problem as Diablic, is that Men in Black is our number nine. And I... Yes. That's that's too much a part of my childhood to... Like, because this is a pretty good film, but it's it's not Men yeah, in Black. Good. The, but, but, Andrew, if we based our rating system on what was good when we were children, Batman 66 would be top of my list. Uh, and it's not? No. Terrible. Oh, man. <laughs> Have you seen it? <laughs> it's got a rubber shark in it. <laughs> I mean, so is Jaws, and that's great. No, no, no. It's got a rubber shark in it. There's even rubber shark repellent. But, I mean, I, I'm happy to put Thor Love and Thunder in at number 11. Yeah, I think that's, okay. that feels... Reasonable. I'm being outvoted. What, what, what were you being outvoted on? Where did you want to put it? Well, I wanted to hear what number 10 was. Well, it was Danger well, Diabolic. Di- I mean, not number 9. Yeah. But that and to be black, fair, number so... 8 is yeah, Deadpool. Ah, nice. okay. Fair enough. See, it's it's almost like the system works sometimes. Just almost. don't think too hard about it. 
you've reached consensus. Yeah, Thor 11 Thunder are new numero 11. Oh. That works really well. Let's move on. <laughs> the, the Russell Crowe school of accents yes. there, I think. <laughs> ah, he, he is a delight, isn't he? Anyway, that's about it for us. If you want to listen to more, you can find all our episodes on the feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you subscribe to the show, you'll make sure you never miss an episode. If you want to get in touch, our email is beholdpod at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at beholdpod. And if you're a fan, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review on your podcast app of choice or just recommended us to a friend. It's the best way for us to grow as a show and reach new listeners. So that's everything. Until next time, I've been Andrew. I've been Graham. And I've been Mick. And that is how Graham, Andrew and Mick decided where Thor, Love and Thunder lived in the multiverse of comic book adaptations. Good night. Sleep well. <laughs>